So, my name is Christian Isaacson. For those of you that don't know me, I'm 44. I'm a proud 44. Um, I'm a husband, a firefighter, an endurance athlete, and uh, a fill-in preacher today. So, um, and really quick, uh, I kind of messed up with my slides. I wanted to, to, to kind of have an icebreaker and show, this is my family, if you guys can see that. You don't need to see anything but, but the teeth. This is Rhonda, who's sitting right here in the middle. We just celebrated 25 years of marriage, which is awesome. Yeah. And then Evelyn, my daughter Evelyn, who's in Japan right now, visiting a friend. And then Ian, who's playing drums at our church family at 26 West back in Beaverton. Interesting thing about Ian is last week he learned everything there is to know about anything. So he helps me a lot. Um, Anyway. All right. So I love Christ. I love the Bible. And I know that I hope for you that this time will pay off big. Um, it has to, right? Because we're going to be studying Jesus in his life. So before I get to the scripture, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll let you guys know how we're going to kind of fly the plane today. Lord, thanks for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I don't take this lightly. It's uh, a very big deal for me to be able to stand up and to, to share how much grace you've poured into my life. Um, I pray that uh, we have open ears and open hearts, and, and again, thank you for uh, this great opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Sam, Shannon, thank you. Matt, thank you. Um, I'm just very grateful to be here. So, we're going to read and hang out in Luke 8, 26 through 39, 12 verses. So I'll let you guys, if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and get there. Um, my plan is to read through the passage first. And then after I read through it, we're going to go ahead and dissect a couple of the breaks within the, within the scripture. And since it is a scripture, and I'm not going to make you stand up and read it with me, I would love it if you guys, once you have your, your, the, the Bible verse open, if you guys could stand, and then I'll read through it while we all stand together. We'll, start, we'll go ahead and start in Luke 8.26. Then they sailed to the country of Jerises, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it has seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these, so he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and and told the people in the city and the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Christ and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them that the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Jerusalem asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You guys can go ahead and sit. It's one of my favorite stories, not only in the Bible, but ever. Um, and praying for this sermon, I realized 
despite that I've used this, talk, this sermon in talk with athletes and Bible studies and schools, for whatever reason, the last couple of weeks, and I'm not a pastor, um, so it was a big challenge for me, um, it, it, it resurfaced a ton of things that it didn't hit the first time. Um, it, it, and, and what I wrote here is every time that I meditate on this scripture, it breaks and strengthens me at the same time. It's just 12 verses um, in Luke. One of the great things about the Bible is that there's always something new to learn despite how many times you've read it. Last year, I got through the Bible for the first time, the whole thing. And I'm reading again this year, and it feels like I didn't even read it last year, not because it didn't impact me, but because it, it affects me in different ways, right? Um, my hope today is that I reflect first on the theology, the history, and the truth of what Scripture says, not what I think, because I'll get in trouble then. And disclaimer, if you hear anything that sounds really smart, it's probably not from me. Um, if you need me to cite my sources or tell you the dude that I ripped it off from, I, I have his name written here. Um, but for the sake of time, I'm going to pretend like I said it all. Um, so here we go. Uh, we're here together. One thing before I move forward, and I wasn't going to include this, but since Steve, my close friend, is here, uh, he's a leader at the church, a godly man, a close brother and friend of mine. Discussing with him over the past couple of weeks how I, how I, I approach this as a guy that usually says a lot without saying nothing, or says too much and not say a lot, um, he said something to me that stuck he said, where you are in life and what you're studying are always intersections to consider when, when you share God's word. And, and that's exactly where I ended up um, this morning, leaving from work as I was 40 minutes late, getting out of the fire station, uh, frustrated. Um, so the setup before Luke, before we start breaking down the verses here, the setup in our text, does anybody remember what's going on right before this? Christ is sleeping in a boat as he's traveling in the water with 12 experienced fishermen. And they're all freaking out because of what? Because of a storm, right? These 12 experienced seamen that have spent their lives fishing on water are freaking out. Um, and I've always, always wondered why that was the case. And, and me, with some of the studying that I've done, the nerd in me researched a lot of things. And, and it, it came and dawned on me. I thought how interesting it was. I think maybe Satan was attacking Christ while he was sleeping, counting his sheep, so to speak. I think, I think the devil's motive in life is to, is to kind of mess with us, right? It's his, it's his way of trying to find comfort and bring other people with him because he's condemned, and the more he can condemn, the better he feels. And I think, you know, Christ was tempted in the desert for, by Satan. Um, I just think it was interesting that that storm was going on right before our scripture and what we're going to be studying today happened. So, like I said, I wrote in my notes, I think it's cool that Christ was just sleeping, uh, counting his sheep. So, picking up at verse 26, we'll start to break down. If you guys want to follow along in your Bible, I'll read, stop, read, stop, and we'll do that throughout the duration of the first 40 minutes. Intermission, then the second 40 minutes, we'll come back. Kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. Before I set this up, Luke, Mark, and Matthew all have this account. In Luke and Mark, uh, Gerasenes is used, and in Matthew, it's uh, Gardenia. To, to not explain things and get too caught up in that, it's essentially the same region and, and the same people. Um, if you're interested in studying that, I, I encourage you, go ahead and do that. It's, it's really interesting to find um, the correlation between the two and why the two names are used. But not to get lost in the weeds, it's the same people in the same region. And the reason why I bring that up is because Gadarene, the definition, or Gerasis, is the definition is an adjective, and it means to be involved or engaged 
in a headlong or potentially disastrous rush into something. I've lived in that part of disastrous, like rushing into things for the 44 years that I've been on this planet. Um, it's embarrassing, and I could talk to you about that, but that's not what I'm here for today. So uh, I find it also interesting that this is the first account in the, in the Gospels that Christ actually sails and meets, goes to a Gentile country, a Gentile region. He's with Jews his whole life. He goes to a place where there's Gentiles that, that maybe have heard of Christ, but they, they don't know who he is, right? Um, uh, it's cool how Luke reveals God's concern for the Gentiles. This is one of the things that really jumped out at me that this time that I read through it, how Christ seeks after us, how he loves you enough and considers you important enough to, follow, to, to seek you and want you to follow him. Um, Jesus, the king of the universe, seeking, finding, forgiving, and loving, and coming after us. Um, that's heavy for me. Um, and <clears throat> in Romans, it says, it, it, it's interesting, Paul talks about how in, in Romans 3, he says, is God the Jews, is God the God of the Jews only? No, he's the God of the Gentiles also. So thinking, I thought that was really cool. Um, verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there he met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he'd worn no clothes and had not lived in a house but among the tombs. This guy was insane. This guy was crazy, like Rosie O'Donnell crazy, insane, right? Um, lives, I hope that didn't offend anybody if you like Rosie. Uh, that just popped in my head. You can fit Justin Bieber, fill in anybody. That's cool. Um, lives like a wild dog and an animal in the tombs, right? Um, and in history, the Jews considered tombs... Uh, Unclean, death, unclean. Um, and I imagine he was a nuisance, right? This guy was, was, uh, was probably annoying the people that lived in the villages around him, I would imagine. Um, I get annoyed with panhandlers sometime at the end of a freeway ramp. That's just me being honest. I, 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 I shouldn't, but sometimes I do, right? It's a nuisance, things like that, because they stick in the back of your mind. What do we do with that? How, how do we help this person, right? Um, Keeping this nutcase locked up may have been a way just to deal with them. Uh, villages were tight-knit spaces back at that time. And remember when Christ entered in, or when Mary and Joseph entered to try to find a place for their baby to be born? There was no room there. At this time, even though it was a very community-driven um, society, it was still very tight-knit, very protected, very guarded. Um, so that was kind of an interesting point, there, that there was no room for him to keep, even if they wanted to help him. And instead, they just tied him up in the tombs. Um, I wonder if he had struggles, concerns, if he was afraid. Um, that's the part of the, of the story where I sympathize with this guy. Um, in Mark 3, it says, The man lived in the tombs and, had no one who could, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And if you've ever done any research about the chains and shackles at this time, it's not like it was a dog being tied up outside of a Starbucks with a little leash. These were iron-clad shackles that he somehow managed to get out of every time they chained him up. Um, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It was the crying out part that would make me sad reading about this guy um, because I've felt like that before. Uh, crying out in many, many times in my life, at work, um, at home. Ask Rhonda. She's probably cried out many times the past four weeks as I've prepared for this sermon because I've shackled her up. Um, I've not been the funnest guy to live, and it's not just because of this sermon, I imagine. I mean, you could talk to Rhonda about anything, and she'll tell you the truth. Um, 
when I struggle with fear, sin, anxiety, insecurity, I need to remember that Christ cast that away from me. He healed me, he lives in me, he loves me, and I am free in him. And I took out the slide, but it just popped into my head. There's a verse in Zephaniah where it says, Christ actually dances over me and sings over me. Um, Zephaniah 3.17. It's, a, it's one of the verses that I carry along with me all the time when I start to fall back to who I think I am and remember who Christ says I am. Um, picking up in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Really interesting that this psycho ran to Christ when the disciples, and I, you know, I imagined him getting out of the boat on shore. The devil, Satan, the satanic possessed guy notices Christ and makes a beeline to him and not anybody else. Um, it's a passage that, that I wrote here in the passage, the demonic presence recognizes the Son of God. Um, and he's instantly made aware that things are probably not going to work out for him. Uh, in James, it talks about the demons, what? Shuddering and believing, right? They, they know that Christ is, is alive and well, and they shudder. Um, it's actually the reason why they exist. Uh, all their plans are made based around this belief, and why would they not recognize that the one they hate and fear is, is at their presence? Um, and why wouldn't Satan try to disrupt a boat ride of Christ trying to sleep and come and bring salvation to people? Uh, why wouldn't Satan try to uh, disrupt a sermon prep or a family vacation or a new job? Anything that brings hope, I feel Satan is there to try to shake the foundation. And I know personally that I don't try to over-Christianize if I don't find a parking spot or if I, there's not a table left at the place that I want to eat. But I know there are times where Christ is defending me as Satan tries to untie my shoes and watch me trip. And if I start to trip, I'm in trouble because I forget all this stuff and I forget everything that we say that we believe and I fall back on how easy it is to know how painful things in life get. And um, it's ugly. Like this, I was not making a joke. The, the four weeks leading up to this, I, I've talked to people. I'm like, do you know when you're getting attacked by Satan? Um, I do, and, and I have. Um, For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times he seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. He would break the bonds that, and <clears throat> driven out by the demon into the desert. It's incredible to me that Christ called out the demon first. Um, I thought of it like, uh, uh, kind of like, come out first and let me talk. Like, you wait till your father gets home. I'm here. Dude that's been possessed, chill for a second. Just catch your breath. Feel what it feels like to not be possessed for a minute. Let me take care of this first. Um, it was an image of God removing our troubles, our burdens, and our demons, and taking care of it with his power, not with ours. Do you honestly think that this guy probably didn't want to be possessed by the devil? I, I would imagine so. It's why he's cutting himself and crying out, right? He couldn't do it in his own power. Jesus said, hey, step out, take a break, I'm going to deal with this nerd, and then, and then I want to love on you for a little bit. It's very reminiscent of what happens to a lot of people when they meet Christ, right? Um, verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Verse 31, and they begged him not to command them to, to go into the abyss. Um, Boo-hoo is what I thought when I read this. Um, 
Legion, does anybody know where that word comes from? A legion is a Roman, it, it, it was used to describe the, the army that the Romans had. And a legion had four to 6,000 soldiers in it. So imagine the, the, the problem that this guy had and the schizophrenia that he might have been going through um, to have a legion of demons possess him, right? Um, Gadara, uh, it was talked about in Matthew, was the home of uh, the 10th Roman legion. This is kind of the nerd in me. This is where I really wanted to study in through the history. Um, this area where he was at was called Legio X Fresentes or Legio Decimia Fresentes. Um, and it was where the 10th Roman legion of uh, the soldiers lived. And the primary meat staple throughout history in this culture were pigs. It was pork because they were so easy to, to grow, right? They, 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 they're born and they die like six, seven, eight months. You have... A, bacon cheeseburger, or bacon burger, um, or just bacon, that's cool. Um, and ironically, the 10th Legion had the image of the wild boar on its insignia, which I thought was really cool. And I could get so caught in the weeds how, how many really cool strands through history presents itself in the story of Scripture. It's just awesome that Luke decided to include what we needed to see, and hopefully encourage us to dig into what we wanted to find out. Verse 32 now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. The, 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 the demons wanted to be entered. They didn't want to be cast out. They wanted to go into the pigs, right? They were, they were afraid. So he gave them permission. Jesus gave them permission. The demons came out and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and, and into the lake and drowned. Uh, when the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told the city and in the country. Can you imagine what these people must have felt like? Like, what the... I, I was told I can't say crap here, so I won't. But I would have said what that word. And then I can't say sucks, but I would have said this really, that too. Um, Rhonda told me that. She's like, you're not talking to athletes. You're going to be talking on Sunday. Watch your language. So I didn't say those words. Um, but Jesus, Jesus grants that request, right? He says, yeah, go into the pigs. That's fine. Um, and instead of getting cast into the abyss, the demons go into the pigs and uh, instead of the pigs destroying them, they, they destroy the pigs, right? They rush off into the bank. Um, so, recap. So far, through my talking, this is where we're at. Boatload of Jews with the one lands on shore. Um, and I'm sure people have been talking about him, right? Even in Gentile country. Charles Manson, psycho guy, rolls up in his birthday suit, not wearing anything. Uh, and Jesus calls out Legion. Everybody's standing there watching. Um, the discussion that Christ had, I think, would maybe not have been such a, as much of a discussion as maybe Jesus taking his rightful authority over him, over the devil, over the possessed man, um, and commanding this, the devils to go out, right? Um, it's more of a picture of like an MMA fighter, like a SmackDown, like a, like a GSP. Can I not say MMA in church? Do we not watch? Uh, uh, is that cool? All right. Um, a boxer, a guy hitting a home run. Um, and even the, the other cool thing about this is even Legion and the demons, they don't want to be sent into the abyss. They say, don't send me into the abyss. Why is that? that? That was part of the story that I've read through over and over again. Why is that? Because if you read in Revelation later on, that's where they end up. They lose. And they know this. Um, th this is the part of the sermon that really hits me as well is because Despite the fact of me knowing where my salvation and my grace is, and the fact that I win, I still think if I'm late for today getting out of the fire department, I lose. 
or if my son doesn't listen to me and I lose control over a situation, I lose. Um, the minuscule things that we minimize at the time, or that we maximize at the time, is an indication that we forget that Christ won, that he, in his power, cast the demons out of this man to save his soul. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, I like it the fact that Satan loses. Uh, so the pigs go in, the pigs go crazy, they jump in the water, and they die. Uh, Verse 35. Am I doing okay? Am I going too fast for you guys? Yeah? I'm not nervous, so I just talk fast. It drives my son crazy. Um, and my wife. And anybody else who I live with. Um, <clears throat> then the people went out to see what had happened. Uh, they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Christ, clothed in his right mind. And what does it say? They were afraid. Why do you think that they were afraid? I... I have always struggled with this. Um, the first thing that jumped into mind was like, they were afraid because they just don't understand. But I don't believe that. I, I don't believe, um, I, I would hope that you would be seeing a possessed man living in the tombs, tied up, freed, that you would have no problem with seeing him being released, right? How can the same people uh, of the region that were scared of a demon-possessed man be fearful of a God that just released him from it? That makes no sense to me at all. Um, why? What, what, what fear could have, could have caused that? Fear of change? I know I have people that I work with at the fire department, friends that I train with or run with. or I know that I talk to people all the time, and the biggest thing that they want to know if, uh, that they're fearful of if they accept Christ is how much they're going to have to change. That could have been part of it. I know that when I accepted Christ and he really got a hold of my heart, a lot of things that I thought I would not want to let go of out of fear, I don't ever want back into my life again. Um, and it's nerve-wracking, right? Because we love sitting in our own sin. I did, and I do sometimes with my own insecurities, for whatever reason, feel like it's more comfortable to sit in a muddy bath than it is to stand up and take a hot shower. It doesn't make sense to me sometimes, and that's something that I still struggle with. Um, and those, verse 36, and those who had seen it told them that the, demon, the demon-possessed man had been healed. So they're fearful, they're freaked out, and they're telling people that he's been healed, but they still haven't let it seep in, right? They haven't let it seep into their soul. Um, it's like they find themselves, I thought, they find themselves in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, they're just like, uh, the kid was, a, the, the, he's a ghost, uh, if you've seen The Sixth Sense. Um, so what do they do? They just bail out of fear, number one, but number two, what do you do when you see something incredible, right? You put it on the internet. You tell everybody. You let everybody know, dude, uh, Joe Demon dude is sitting at the feet of this Jew and talking in his right mind. Um, I, I, I imagine Charles Manson talking with Christ in his right mind. I, I know that's a real heavy um, example, but it is incredible to me. And I can't imagine the disciples either. Like their disciples were freaking out about Jesus being asleep during the storm, and then they're all sitting there watching this, and they're like, I ain't saying anything about this because of the storm thing. This is cool. Let's pretend like, let's go with it, go with it. Let's pretend like we're, oh, this is good. Um, I can imagine him saying, like, dude, he's got this. I learned my lesson. <clears throat> Verse 37. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked them to depart from him because they received with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. I, I'm going to read that again. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes, or Gerasenes, or Gadara, asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear, so he got into the boat and returned. When I first read this years ago, that was the one sentence that I could not figure out 
why, why it was included in the story. Um, in all of human history, this is an example and proof that Christ can do something absolutely unbelievable right in front of you, and people don't get it at all. How many times have you guys been frustrated with people in your life that have been blessed with a kid, a car, a job, a full belly, and you, for whatever reason, can't understand how they can't understand what a blessing that is? Even those little small common graces that God gives us every day. It's like when I wake up in the morning and I, and I breathe my first breath of, of fresh air. I forget about it all the time, but then when I stop and really think about it, I'm like, man, I, I forget about this all the time because I'm too worried about all this other stupid stuff in my life that means absolutely nothing at all. So getting in the boat returned, the Savior stands in front of you and releases a man bound by demons to freedom, and nobody wants him, not one. His love, his friendship, his holiness, it made me sad to read this, and it still does. Jesus will not impose himself on unwilling people. And that's a big theological discussion. It's way too big for us to get into. Um, It's the quickest way I could summarize this example of what Jesus did in front of people. A rejection of God is what this image brings to mind to me. They don't know him, nor do they want to find out more about him. And they witness, they're witness to a man that's been released from bondage, and the fear trumps freedom in Jesus. The dwellers in this region that witness them, the, so I thought about this this morning when I got up. I got up early at the fire station, made a cup of coffee, I was the first one up, and I started thinking about this. The people that were in the region were as scared as the demons that dwelt in this guy were. They both had the same exact fear. Um, it's just something that dawned on me that I, that I hadn't thought about the whole four weeks leading up to this. I'm like, they, they, they both kind of like, they both hugged that fear, um, but only one of those examples held on to it, right? As we'll see, I'm at 23 minutes. This is more like a devotion. I'm hurrying because I know he's going to talk for four hours. He wasn't kidding either. Um, When I went through this, the word that I used was stupid. And I had some people look over the sermon that I wrote, and they were like, ah, stupid might be a wrong word unless you come up with an example. Steve actually was like, think of something stupid. I was like, I have a many, I have like an Encyclopedia Britannica of examples of stupidity in my life that I could use. But, but I want to use something that makes a little bit more sense and is relatable to you guys. So I'm going to use uh, something that I did as an athlete. As most of you guys know, I race around the world. I do races. And I was, uh, a couple years ago, was at uh, Ultraman Hawaii, the World Championships, and I had just moved into third place. I was about 106 miles on, on the bike. You guys know what race that I do? It's a six-mile swim, 270-mile bike, and then a 52-mile run. It's a, it's a big, long triathlon. Um, around mile 103, I have my crew car behind me. Um, there's a guy that's videotaping it, and for whatever reason, I'm going about 29 miles an hour coming down. My front tire brakes, uh, pops the wheel, and I skid across the road um, and land in the middle of the road with a semi coming from the front and a semi coming from the back, and on both sides of me is a cliff drop-off. We're in Hawaii. I push myself to the side of the road. Remember, stupid. I'm, this is the example of stupidity that we're using here. I push myself off the side of the road, the first thing I'm worried about is my bike, not anything else. How's my bike? Um, and I felt like a little pain here. I leaned up, and my son, Ian, and my wife, and the rest of my crew ran up. And the first thing I said to Ian was, quick, grab the duct tape. I need to duct tape my arm to my body so I can finish this race. And Ron was like, that's so stupid. 
Because what happens when you're doing something stupid, right? Most of the time, we don't think it's stupid until we step back and go like, I can't believe I took that job. I can't believe I bought that when I didn't have the money to do that. I can't believe I let my family... The x-rays at the time showed, four hours later, that I was leaking blood into my lung, that I had seven broken ribs, and that my clavicle was shattered. And all I could think about was duct taping my arm to my body and finishing that day. That's so stupid. It's really stupid considering I put my family through misery for a year. And what's even stupider is I'm racing it again. So if I'm back next year, we'll see what happens, right? Um, it's dumb. It's, it's almost as stupid as that. Uh, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. Begged Jesus, I want to I stay with you, Lord. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is really cool because this is the first time in the Gospels that Jesus tells somebody, hey, go tell people about me. If you guys read other accounts, he's like, some of the healings that he does, he's like, ah, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. That's always been an interesting Bible study for me to do. I encourage you guys to go do that too. In the New Testament, when Christ heals these people, a lot of times he's like, don't, just keep it under your breath. Don't, you know, Christ kind of backs out, leaves the, the, the place that he was at. This time, he tells this Gentile, go. Go and tell people. Um, so the question that I want to ask to you um, through my rambling here is who are you in this story? Like, when you hear me talk about the villagers, the demon-possessed man, the disciples, who do you, who do you think you are? Who, who, I, I ask that all the time. Who am I in this story? For me, at some point in my life, I related to different people. Today, I might be the villager. At some point, we are all like the bound man. That's the key. At one point or another, we were all the bound man, Right? It might not be mental, it might not be addiction, but at some point we're under the influence of the enemy and we weren't following Christ. Scared, freaked out, worried. Um, maybe you're worried you're going to lose some bacon. Pigs, right? Maybe that's more important to you. Um, stubborn against the miracle and the release of burden. Letting the Savior of the universe get back into the boat. How many times have I done that? Seen something in front of me happen, and I'm just like, I'm good, Christ. Christ loves me enough to get into the boat. That's the, that's the, the, the kind of the M. Night Shyamalan twist of the whole, he loved those people enough to get into the boat. Um, are you the bound man? Are you the bound man in here? A lot of things bind us these days. Tons of things bind us. Um, are you the freed man who wants to get into the boat with Christ? I want to go with you. Take me with you. That's what I imagine him saying. Like, I'm a very animated, loud talking. Like, I have one volume, and it's this. And it drives people. When I'm on the phone, my son leaves the room. He hates it. But that would have been me. Like, Jesus, take me with you. For many reasons. For selfish reasons, really. Because sometimes it's hard when Jesus does something, and then you know you have to go back to the real world. It's really hard to stay plugged in sometimes, right? It is. It's tough. But how cool would it have... How cool would it be for you to have Jesus say, go tell everyone about me. Tell your testimony to the Gentiles, to the people that you play with on the softball team, to the people that you work with. Um, tell the people that are not ready to invite me in or follow me, but can't ignore your changed life. There's guys that I work with 
that they can say anything that they want to say about what I believe the Bible says or the fact that I think Jesus is the master of the universe. But what I don't ever want to give them is a foothold with something that I do to make them question Christ actually lives in me. Because that's what my hope is, right? That Jeremy Camp song, Christ in me, that's what I want. That's what this guy got. The demons were removed and Christ jumped in. It's like the citizen song, right? He bleed, you bleed his blood. Christ commissions this Gentile before he commissions any of the 12. I thought that was really cool when I read through this. I'm like, that's awesome. That's like me, not a pastor, being here talking to you. Um, so, can you imagine this dude rolling into Starbucks? This is just me free willing. Can you imagine this guy rolling into Starbucks here and everybody's drinking and they turn around and they're like, what? And the music stops, and the baristas are looking at him. And they're like, dude, what's up? You, you had to give him some clothes first, and then get him a latte. But they're like, right, wouldn't you see, like, the, the, you're supposed to be listening to Justin Bieber out in the tombs right now. You're a nutcase. And he walks in, and can you imagine that? I, I can't wait to see that. In he- if I care enough in heaven at the time, I want to see the DVD of this. I want to see this. Um, and what would he say to them? He'd be like, hey, man, I met Jesus. I met Christ today. That guy probably couldn't keep his mouth shut. But the same can be said for me, right? And the same can be said for you. And it doesn't have to be earth-shattering. Like, I was thinking about this again this morning, too, as I was kind of finishing going through this and, like, overanalyzing every word that I put in this. The, the, The thing that it boiled down to is, what has Christ done for you this year? or this month, or this week, or this morning. Um, I think all of us have a story to tell. I think we do. If we're followers of Jesus, we all have a story to tell. And if we're not followers followers of Jesus, we also have a story to tell, except we're telling that story. Um, I encourage you guys, don't hold back with that. Um, Tell someone the good news and the things that Jesus are doing in your life. That's all I want to do for the rest of my life. I just want to tell people how cool God is. Um, and I know that's winnowing it down. He's not, he's holy and amazing, but it's cool. Um, in one sentence, before we pray, I just will ask you, how do we respond to Jesus Christ when we encounter him? That's it. That's the bottom line. How do we respond to Jesus Christ when we encounter him? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the chance that I could get up here and ramble and kind of fumble through these words. Um, my, my hope was that I just, like my friend said, hand the baton to the Holy Spirit when I get up on stage to talk to the people and let him take over. Um, it's cool to be here. I, I, I love Sam. I love the way Sam loves this church community, and I'm honored that he would entrust me to 30, 35 minutes of their time. Um, thank you for this lovely day and the heat that's coming this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.